Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome into episode 66 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me this week and returning from vacation is the good brother, TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack, man? Hopefully you are relaxed coming back from vacation. Oh, PT, it's been 20 plus years since I had a vacation uh, that actually meant something, you know, going away, going to a different country, enjoying myself, relaxing, decompressing. And the two weeks that I had away was absolutely fantastic. I, um, I forgot what, you know, just existing and not caring about everything else just really meant. I went to some wonderful beaches, I drank some wonderful alcohol, I ate loads of wonderful food. Um, I just, I had so much fun, and yeah, the only thing that I'd say that really detracted from my uh, from my holiday experience is the day before we, we booked, we, we were due to check out, uh, it started to rain. It was the day before, the, like the the last full day, uh, I think about two or three in the afternoon, the rain started to come down, but by then I was already sufficiently burned. So <laughs> it was fantastic. I, I enjoyed every second of it. That's great to hear. You know, I was chatting before we went live and you seemed relaxed. You seemed much more mellow, you know, everything. It's good to get away. You know, I'm glad that you were able to get that vacation in. I know it's been years for me, uh, and I only went for a couple days, so it's nice that you were able to, yeah, just get your time away and relax and decompress and do everything, man, so good on you. Yeah, I, I didn't actually think that, oh, like, this would change an awful lot about me, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go away, but I'm literally just kind of, chill by the pool or do whatever um but no i i honestly I, I i i went to the pool i sat in the pool for hours and end uh you know i went to walk to these walk to these beautiful beaches um i just i went you know being the the, the typical tourist I, I i kind of just explored a little bit by myself i got to just explore and be you know exist in a different place than where i am and i didn't think that oh yeah all of that would culminate in me feeling an awful lot better but it did it was one of those things that you know you don't think about it until it happens and uh i just i really enjoyed it um it kind of has me thinking that i don't really want to wait another 20 years for the next one a lot of times we can only reflect once we've stepped away from what we were doing. So glad that you were able to realize that every once in a while you need to recharge your batteries and kind of get away from some things to properly relax. So either way, glad you enjoyed yourself. Good to have you back. We were holding down the fort over here. So yeah, good to get back into the swing of things with quite the interesting week we had, which was a loaded card, if you will. So we're going to get into some of these topics, of course. So. Welcome back, Joker. Thanks for everybody watching and listening, and let's do this thing. Hell yeah.
All right, before we kick into the show proper, we hear kayfabe counselor saddened to hear the passing of Terry Funk and Wyndham Rotunda, known to many as Bray Wyatt. Our thoughts are with his family, friends, and fans at this time. All right, as a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kayfabecouncil and in audio form wherever you get your podcasts from. On this week's episode, we look at AEW All in London. We're going to be taking a look at some of the ongoings of the biggest event in wrestling history. Kind of just give our thoughts and share our impressions of what transpired. So, coming up first. This past week was a difficult one because we ended up losing two incredible people in the wrestling sphere that of course being terry funk and wyndham rotunda once again known to folks as bray wyatt in the wwe first off for terry funk who we lost earlier in the week terry was quite interesting i got to acknowledge and kind of see the latter portion of his career one of my very first memories of terry funk was oddly enough because I had access to it, uh, was Shotgun Saturday Night, which is inadvertently the night before the 1997 Royal Rumble. They had the show live from a bar in Texas because the Royal Rumble was at the Alamo Dome. And there was an interaction, an interview with Terry Funk, and Stone Cold Steve Austin was on commentary. And lo and behold, they get into a scuffle, they get into a brawl. So that was my first impressions of Terry Funk proper, the sort of middle-aged and crazy wild man version, if you will. And it was one of those, the first time I saw that was just very enthralled and kind of taken aback. I'm like, very early on in my wrestling watching days is something I just, I don't know, I really didn't see before and I was kind of hooked. And then he, if I'm not mistaken, he's wearing the, the Funk U t-shirt and then we would later find out in like the WWF Attitude Era that some of the guys like the Hardys and uh, a few others actually trained at the Funking Dojo uh, with him and Dory. So it was kind of one of those weird things. So that was kind of my, my, my first impressions of seeing that. Also as a caveat, because I was raised in the Northeast, I'm originally from New York City, New York, and of course... At 2 or 3 a.m. on a Friday or Saturday night, we used to get ECW Hardcore Television on the MSG Network. And it was one of those where I'd see highlights and recaps featuring Terry Funk. Uh, of course, he was a staple of the earlier portion of ECW when they were Eastern Championship Wrestling. And of course, into roughly that time, 1997, which I quoted earlier, uh, where he was featured in the main event of the ECW's first pay-per-view, Barely Legal. So I kind of remember some of those things as well. Of course, kind of seeing highlights in those those guerrilla-style ads of, uh, see, Terry Funk, face this guy, and all these kind of things. So it was kind of, uh, I got to know and be familiar with him from those things. Uh, and then, of course, when he spent some time in WWF, uh, appearing as Chainsaw Charlie, teaming with McFoley as Cactus Jack, 
facing the New Age Outlaws were were some fond memories of him. And then, of course, uh, just later on, I think it was released around 1998, but the Beyond the Mat documentary, which featured Terry and uh, Mick and Bret Hart, of course, during uh, roughly 1997, that whole calendar year. But remember him featured prominently in that. So uh, those were some of my things that I remembered the most are the impressions that once again, just really had me drawn to this this person, this character that of this this wild man, middle aged and crazy was the tagline, and just had me really enthralled about what is going on with this guy. So I ended up looking into a bit more of him later on. So those are some of my kind of initial and and, and most remembered memories of of Terry Funk. There, Joker for yourself. You stated before you didn't get a ton of territory or kind of maybe some WCW or things like that. Um, what, what were some of your impressions or, uh, or, or things that you remembered of Terry Funk? My, my, my impressions, my, my history with Terry Funk is very limited. Um, I'm not about to sit here and tell you, Oh yeah, I remember all this crazy stuff that Terry Funk did. Um, it was anything during the attitude era, uh, where Mick Foley was involved. Um, I heard the name Terry Funk thrown around as if he was some sort of mythical being. You know, everybody was training with Terry Funk. Everybody who knew him was like, oh, this hardcore legend, Terry Funk. That's the era that I knew of him. I never knew, I never watched any of his stuff. I never was, was fairly interested in the hardcore deathmatch style that he became sort of synonymous with later on in his career. Um, I, I, I didn't really feel like I was connecting with that, with that sort of person, but whenever we had the Mick Foley character come out as Cactus Jack and stuff, that was whenever I was introduced to Terry Funk. And, um, I, I always kind of keep those two characters, Terry Funk and, and, and Cactus Jack sort of linked together in my mind because you can't have one without the other um and even you know sort of interviews with mick foley and stuff about how much of an influence terry funk was on him kind of says the same thing so um it is it is a great loss for the people who were heavily influenced and um you know and, and close to the man uh all of these all of these tributes being paid to Terry Funk, I, I don't think have, have missed the mark and, and hearing everybody just talk about from the early goings in his career and, uh, you know, winning championships um, on the, uh, on the, in, for the NWA and stuff like that there um, and being part of ECW. Um, I, I feel like this has been a, a man with a long and storied career and yeah, sure. I, I feel a little bit, hard, you know, a little bit annoyed that I missed such a, a a great career. But at the same time, I'm I'm glad that he has had that and that he's touched so many people. Yeah, it's incredible to think that the impact that Terry has had. I mean, back in the uh, '70s with just the NWA, he was the NWA World Champion in the in the. 80s, you'd had him feuding with Ric Flair and Jim Crockett Promotions, later WCW. You had him 
I mean, go on to IWA and the King of the Death matches and then to ECW and to WWF and then once again back to WCW to uh, TN NWA, TNA Impact. I mean, this guy was really all over the map and like you said, touched so many lives and like you said, he heard so many fantastic tributes to Terry himself with incredible just words of encouragement and, and everything so it was, it was great to hear i'm remembering from the beyond the mat documentary it's one of those things that he was featured and this is around 1997 and he's just incredible amounts of pain it's hard to get out of bed and it's one of those like i for some of the folks that have been with us for a while know like i have headaches every day and you know i kind of have knee and, and uh, back pain and stuff um so it's one of those i kind of uh akin to him and kind of sort of a sacred uh, bonded soul with him but he was always one that made sure he got up to train he made the towns he made the matches he was always willing to talk to the young guys and and, and pass on that knowledge so it was something that i kind of took to heart you know even if you're having a rough go of it you can still share and and be a good influence on the companies and the people around you as a whole and uh, one last note on Terry, for sure. I'm reminded from that same documentary, Beyond the Mat, Paul Heyman's giving a speech just before Barely Legal, their first pay-per-view goes live, and he's talking to the roster. And I made sure to get the quote, because it's fantastic. Paul Heyman goes on to say, Thank you, Terry Funk, for all he's done for this company, for helping put us on the map, for being unselfish in selfish times, for taking the young guys and showing them a better way. So just a fantastic just quote and appreciative of that. So Terry, thank you for all the memories and for what you've shared with us, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much, Terry. And also for Wyndham Rotunda, uh, known to many as a Bray Wyatt, we lost as well this week. Uh, Joker, what were some things that you remember or uh, the impressions that Wyndham might have had on you? This, this, this one stung a bit more. Um, I woke up to messages from one of my friends who is a, is, is a big fan of wrestling and he messaged me saying Bray Wyatt has passed. Um, and I, I was up early, I was going to the gym and I got this message. I just got up in. I, I just looked at him and went, sorry, wait, what? Um, quickly, you know, doing a Google at 6.30 in the morning. Um, and, and yeah, I, 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 I couldn't get it out of my head like all day. Um, I was, I was just trying to think of everything that, that sort of, um, Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda. Um, had had done for the wrestling sphere, um, in his short but very influential career, um, and for me personally, uh, I I can't but echo all the sentiments that that have come before and and the tweets and, and the stories from his friends and family. He was so integral to the storylines of a lot of people. Um, he came up with such fascinating concepts and just the 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 sort of eater of worlds concept, the 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 sort of buy you this this sort of cult leader 
in the Hawaiian shirt, the hat with the black sheep, the white sheep, with 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 um with his sort of family, the storylines that he had with Brian Danielson, with Randy Orton, with absolutely everybody, you know, the the Undertaker, whoever you want, and then. There, there's so much that that man kind of brought to WWE in terms of stories that made some of them didn't make much sense. I'm not gonna lie, he didn't. He didn't for me. He didn't hit home runs all the time, but there was some that he really, really did uh, such an amazing job with, and he brought this sort of. Uh, new vibe with him doing the sort of crab walk, the spider walk that he did, you know, lifting himself up in the ring. Sister Abigail, I think uh, a lot of us have seen his tag match with Roman Reigns where uh, he's pinning and he just puts his arm out in a fashion and you know pulls the trigger and Roman is, you know, in the middle of spearing Sheamus. I think we've all seen that in the last couple, like, months if not a couple of days because it's it's one of his his ring presence his storytelling within the ring his his just general presence was creepy it was encompassing of everyone even if you didn't want to like him you watched a Bray Wyatt match and then you know later on it became the fiend and the Saturday morning sort of cartoon show host, which personally I I really loved. I thought that this dual personality of of Bray was so funny. It was he was having so much fun with one personality, and then he could be serious horror with the other, and it was just so much fun to watch to see when the fiend would pop. You know, why we were having this, you know, Saturday morning cartoon show host who was sort of dark sometimes. His his ability to sign up, sort of switch, sw- uh, you know, switch on a dime was, was second to none. I feel like his promo ability was the best out of everyone. And everything he did from that cult leader to the eater of worlds to the deleter of worlds with Matt Hardy to this the fiend thing that he had um it was so good it encompassed so many amazing talent throughout his career you know there was there was a a, a sort of interaction where it was Finn Balor Seth Rollins and Jeff Hardy walking to the ring and they pass by Matt Hardy and uh, and Bray Wyatt, and they're having this conversation, and you can just watch the free-flowing minds of these three individuals just throw out such random things, and everybody to be enthralled by it. And then it just pans back to Seth and Finn going, what was that about? Like, it was just such a an innocuous little thing that came up on my feed the other day that I went, that was just so good. That was quintessential Bray. Like, that was such a fun thing to happen. And to lose someone like that, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's difficult, especially considering he's the same age as me. 
36 years of age, you, you begin to look at your own mortality, and he leaves behind a family, a very young family. And um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a big loss for the wrestling world, but an even bigger loss for, uh, for the Rotunda family. Absolutely. I mean, I could go on at length to echo a lot of the sentiments there. It's Wyndham himself was just so captivating, I think is, is an apropos word. He just, he, very good, yeah. He brought bringing a different perspective and different presence to a lot of what he did, pretty much everything he did. I mean, this guy was different with promos, with his look with vignettes that he was a part of, uh, the matches themselves, the moves, the, the presentation, the creativity. Everything about this guy was different, and different in a good way. In a sport where you want to stand out, you want to set yourself apart from your peers in terms of an entertainment aspect, to sort of rise above, this guy just, man, was hitting on all cylinders. I think early on in his career, they used to call him the tank with a Ferrari engine. And this guy was just built different in so many aspects of, of his life. So, I mean, he absolutely showed that you don't have to be the ideal kind of cookie cutter mold to be successful. And I think that's, that's one of the, the greatest kind of things that you can be an individual and stand out and, and be successful. And I think that's a message for you know, for myself, for you, for a lot of for a lot of folks out there, and like you said, you heard all these great tributes uh, to him. I think it's one of those I ended up being so captivated. I I got one of his T-shirts, and I'm not a guy who buys wrestling T-shirts, but I I ended up picking up one because it was just something about his presence and the cool design. It was something different, and it was one of those where you know you, you wouldn't necessarily know it's a wrestling T-shirt, but if somebody gives you that look and you're like. If you know, you know, and it's kind of cool like that. So he was, you know, incredible in the fact that he was such a unique person that even though he was like a multiple time champion, he didn't need a title to make him an attraction or to make him special. He was one that sort of stood out completely by himself. And you can't say that a lot about folks in this industry, excuse me, so... Once again, just one of those that I can go on for hours about him, but yeah, it's just incredible. Mm. And like like you said, he's just a hair younger than I am, so it's one of those things that, with the sudden loss, it it really stung and and makes you makes you think. And you know, if uh, if you have an opportunity, if you're watching or listening, tell someone you love them, give someone a hug, you know, just just do that, and uh, yeah. So you can, you can show somebody that you appreciate them and, and just let them know. Appreciate everybody sharing all their thoughts and uh, impressions and all the kind words on, uh, on YouTube, on Twitter, Instagram, on TikTok, all the, uh, the nice comments and everything from there. So one last time, thank you so much, Terry. Thank you so much, Wyndham, for everything that you gave. We appreciate you. Hopefully you're having a phenomenal battle royal in the sky with Brody, with Jay, with Draws, with everybody up there. So thank you. Enjoy yourself. Hopefully we're going to make you proud. So thank you so much.
Thank you. All right. All right, we're going to switch gears here to cover the kind of bigger topic that happened this week. AEW's biggest wrestling show ever they put on. AEW All in London taking place at Wembley. So we're just going to go through the pay-per-view, just give our thoughts and impressions and just kind of take it all in and just share what we thought about the entire show. We're going to start off here with the Zero Hour. Of course, just some highlights right here. We had a contract signing with Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro, which naturally broke out into a brawl. Love the cameo by What Culture's own Simon Miller as a security guard. Yeah, boy, we love to see Simon Miller in the security lineup. I saw that. We were, I was so stoked. I was like, with us, not Simon Miller. It is everybody losing their mind for such a big deal. Props to Simon. Congratulations, buddy. That was that was fantastic. Love to see it. Yeah. Simon, of course, a pundit from What Culture as well, but also a professional wrestler in his own right. So whenever you can get an opportunity to be a part of a crazy, huge, big show like that, even in a small capacity, it's something you can have on your bucket list and on your checklist, of course. So congratulations for Simon getting that opportunity. We also had Jeff Jarrett and Team Jarrett. I almost called them Planet Jarrett. Uh, of course, just <laughs> being a super heel, making fun of the crowd, putting over American wrestling and American promoters. But we, of course, we have to swoop in with the the hero, the excuse me, the baby faces coming to save today. Paul White, UK's own Anthony Agogo, and Grado coming up to beat up the villains. Hell yeah! Oh, this this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for one Tom Campbell. I want to believe that it wouldn't have happened without Tom Campbell uh, of Cultaholic Wrestling, of BBC Newcastle, just kind of going out this whole last week and, and tweeting about it and tweeting at Tony Khan and at Grado and at Jeff Jarrett. It's like, why isn't this happening? Why is this? Put this on the card, you cowards. And and all this here, it was it was fantastic. Another UK based wrestling uh, sort of show on YouTube that 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 did a lot of work for these uh, independents and and Tom Campbell MCs and 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 commentates for a lot of the Northwest wrestling scene in England. And uh, he he championed this cause, and there was even a tweet from Grado thanking Tom Campbell, and Tom Campbell's like, no. Thank you, sir. And it was just, it, it, it was some of the best uh, wholesome content for wrestling that you could see was on the Zero R. And I typically don't watch the pre shows. The pre shows usually for me are like skippable content. But this with Simon Miller and Grado on there, I was like, oh, you know what? Um, I'm good. Like, the, the, this 19 hour show that's about to follow could feature. 18 and a half hours of CM Punk, and I think I'd be okay. This, of course, was just a follow-up ahead of All in London. Grato and Jeff Jarrett were doing some media appearances to help promote the show and an interaction on radio show. Jeff and Grato got into a bit of an argument, and Jeff kabonged Grato with the guitar, so this was a little bit of a payback, so he came full circle. It was so fantastic to see. I loved it. 
And then on to hour two of the zero hour, the buy-in show, the pre-show. We get the two matches here. Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis defending their Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships against Better Than You, Bay Bay, Adam Cole and MJF. As a fun back and forth match that saw Cole and MJF hit the double clothesline on Kyle Fletcher to win and become the new Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. Huge pop from the crowd. Huge pop. I'm a, I'm a wee bit annoyed. I, I really I like Aussie Open. I think Aussie Open are one of those things, one of those teams that have a lot of upside to them. I'm a big United Empire fan. Um, more of that to come later on. Spoiler alert. Um, and I, I just I just love the United Empire and I love Aussie Open and I feel like this was maybe a little bit um, too soon for them to lose these titles, but still it was a really, really good match. Yeah, fun all around. And then we see the second and the pre-show main event of Hook facing off against Hollywood Jack Perry for the FTW Championship. Hollywood Jack coming out in a limo, but Hook meets him at the entrance and they brawl all over the limo itself jack even knocks on the windshield saying it's real glass crimea river but ends up getting suplexed or teardrop brain busted onto the actual glass itself but towards the end of the match back in the ring hook gets some cross faces locks in the red rum and wins by submission regaining the ftw championship I'm not going to give off too much about this match. I liked it. I thought it was fun. The uh, the, the Jack Perry going off was like, oh yeah, this is real glass. Grammy River. I'm like, mm, I wonder who that's for. And then taking that bump through the glass. Apparently, you could hear that bump quite away, you know, quite far away in the stadium. I believe it was somebody on the on the media side. It might have been Sean Ross Sapp was um was saying that you could hear that. Like that was a pretty gnarly bump. Um. But uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel having, you know, the former Jungle Boy on the pre-show when last month he was, you know, fighting the IWGP heavyweight champion Sonata. Um, maybe a wee bit tongue in cheek for me personally, but it was good to see Hook get the win. Um, I wonder where it goes for Hook because I would have liked to see him start to accelerate his his sort of run at some other belts uh, by now. Yeah, we'll kind of see how this goes for Hook and Jack Perry. Yeah, it's one of those, as Tony Khan mentioned later on in the post-show medium scrum, you know, it's a lot kind of going on to fit sh- matches into the show and kind of see how they make sense and flow, as well as prepping for next week's all out in Chicago. So it was a lot to put together, but he was trying to go for things that kind of made sense. So we ended up having this on the pre-show. So, And then before we kick into the show proper, it's become a yearly tradition at an all in or an all out show at the end of August or September to have a backstage incident. Here we go. So Before the show proper started, we had a little bit of a scuffle between a Mr. Charles Montgomery Punk and a Hollywood Jack Perry. So I'm pulling from a Sean Ross Sapp tweet here. Basically, he's just giving you the cliff notes. So CM Punk's side, Jack Perry approached him, got in his face, bumped him, Punk shoved him, choked him. We have other accounts 
Punk approached Perry. They exchanged words. Punk threw the first punch, grabbed a front face lock. It was broken up. Now, bear in mind, that throughout the pay-per-view itself, there was reports and a lot of varying degree, and there was just so many different accounts. Basically, just nothing was consistent other than the fact that these two basically had a confrontation. So we find out later that Perry was escorted out of the arena following the incident. And one other note here on a recent edition of Wrestling Observer Radio is highlighted that Punk took security assistance to reach his locker room after his match with Samoa Joe, which occurred after the altercation. And then according to that report from Brian Alvarez, Perry was subsequently escorted out of the arena. Following the incident, CM Punk remained in his locker room for an unspecified duration until security personnel arrived to escort him out of the arena as well. So Punk was surrounded by security detail in his locker room, it's been reported, and then subsequently escorted out of the arena. Uh, Sean Rossap follows up that both men were sent to their hotels. Oh boy, can we go one late August, early September show without a Jeff in the incident for the love of Christmas Jones? One one year we will get there, PT. One year we will have CM Punk not be involved in a brawl in or a brawl out. Okay, one year it will happen. But apparently, and this is unconfirmed, but apparently they're both suspended for how long? We don't know. If it's true, I don't know. I literally saw the tweet before before we started recording. I don't understand. Charles Montgomery Punk, Chick Magnet Punk, Drama Master Punk. Yes, I don't. I know that doesn't begin with a C, but I would get bleeped out if if I wanted to use the um the actual word. If uh you know if I'm trying to describe him, um I don't understand what's going on here, PT. I just don't know. I like you like you said there. A lot of this stuff is unconfirmed. There's a lot of stuff surrounding this. Um, I just, if this is Jack Perry starting this, why is the, why is the hell up, kid? Come on, like, what are you doing starting this nonsense at, at such a take? Yet again, all right, yet again, we have an incident involving CM Punk being talked about, you know, disrupting, surrounding what should be an amazing event. Like the matches to follow allowed this event to be one of the biggest in in wrestling history. And we are are still going to be talking about this regardless of who you are. There's going to be news outlets that are going to be talking about this for weeks to come. CM Punk involved in drama again. Blah 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 blah. Jack Perry blah 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 blah. CM Punk for weeks this is going to be happening. All In had some amazing matches with title changes, with retentions, with really good matches. And we have to talk about CM Punk losing his, you know, losing his ish because some kid walked up to him and went, Hey bro, I'm harder than you. You're a 40-something-year-old man. Suck it the hell up. Stop being a child or get the hell out of Dodge. 
This one's a tough one. Whether you're a detractor or a fan of Mr. CM Punk or a detractor or a fan of Jack Perry, there's wildly wild uh, discrepancy in the terms of reports. Once again, we, all we know is that these guys had a uh, confrontation, whatever happened, c'est la vie. But yeah, it's one of those that they ended up eventually both leaving the arena. It's it's a tough one. I mean, this is, you know, whether like I said, if you're a fan or you're a detractor from Punk, it's he's a lightning rod of an individual. And this is the second year in a row we've had a backstage incident at a large show. Regardless of the fact, like I said, we're just gonna switch gears because Tony Khan will eventually say that they are looking into the incident. It should not overshadow what these men and women did for this show so we'll switch gears here but this is a tough one man uh, mjf goes on to say in the post media scrum not everybody's gonna get along at your workplace but yeah this is a tough one so you know i you can you can sound off in the comments sound off on the tweets sound off in the instagrams or the tiktoks or whatever but yeah this is uh you know let's hopefully this doesn't damper anything that happened on the show going forward Mm. all right so now we can get into the show proper the first match on the card opening the pay-per-view proper cm punk faces off against samoa joe for the quote unquote real world's championship cm punk Ugh. this is a back and forth uh fun match with both guys taking shots at one another uh punk throwing samoa joe in a spinning toe hold as a nice tribute to terry funk so it's cool to see that Punk ends up getting busted open early after going through the announce table. This was, of course, post uh, Joe going over and uh, getting the uh, get out of the way spot. Always love when Joe does that. Love his get out of the way spots. Fantastic. Yeah. The old uh, Punk paying a nice tribute to uh, Mr. John Cena with the shoulder blocks and the spinning backdrop. But then switching gear, channeling uh, Mr. Hulk Hogan, going for the atomic leg drop. But we see the match end when Punk hits a Pepsi plunge from the second rope to pin Samojo and retain. Quite a quite an interesting match. A lot of references, you know, to to Terry Funk, to uh, to John Cena, to a Hulk Hogan, various things. They were playing to the crowd quite a lot, even with Joe getting the crowd engaged with the uh, soccer chants. But yeah, it was uh, it was that culminating in the uh the third match in their AEW series so yeah it's one of those that is a decent opener i honestly really enjoyed this match i thought the um the pre the pre-match sort of hyperbole where they're talking about how difficult it has been for cm punk to beat joe and they're currently one on one in AEW and punk goes on to say something really really interesting it's like have i gained something or has joe lost something which allows me to beat him and i thought that was the something that was super interesting personally because we have spent this entire time storytelling the fact that joe has punk's number and joe as a wrestler is just fantastic he he can he can build things so well um, and he has these spots, like the muscle buster is one of the most devastating moves um, that I, you know, I cringe every time I see it because it is one of those 
moves that like the early pedigree where Triple H held onto the arms it was a fairly dangerous move this has the potential to be a fairly dangerous move um, and it was one of those matches that prior to finding out all of the, the previous stuff that we were talking about as a CM Punk match I still liked it you know I, I didn't sit here and go oh my god CM Punk blah, blah. He had all the little the little nuances there that you know the Terry Funk, uh, the Terry Funk tribute, the the sort of jibe at um at uh, the jab at at uh, you know Hulk Hogan, lovely, um and the the sort of the the shoulder blocks and stuff with John Cena. I I actually really enjoyed this match. Um, I can't even fault him for the obvious blading spot for being thrown under the table. If he didn't bleed, I'm, you know, I'm John Cena and you can't see me, PT, because it was a piece of flimsy cardboard that he went through and he came out gushing like John Moxley. Um, I can't blame him for that because it was just, it was such a good little spot. Um, really, really good opener to this. The only thing that I would personally be annoyed about this entire match that I am personally annoyed about this entire match is the use of his real AEW World Championship. There will be a unification match uh, shortly. Um, I'm sure there will be where we'll get the second uh, match between uh, Punk and MJF. But um, Punk's not winning that. And if he does, that is yikes to me so this this is a little bit eh, a little bit hard to swallow personally quite a fun match we're getting color right off the bat in the first match brother so we're going for broke uh, hot opener of course and uh yeah quite interesting with the nomenclature of the real world's champion harding hearkening back to a rick flair of course uh leaving nwa and going to WWF with the big gold belt, so nice little homage there. But yeah, it's quite interesting that he won it at All Out last year from John Moxley. Ended up being hurt, and obviously the brawl out incident happened away from nine months. Came back. We have another thing here. Hopefully, Punk is not injured, but there's speculation on whether he may be suspended. So here we go again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Be that as it may, hot opener. Uh, you know, I. Love me some Samoa Joe, so glad he was able to have a high-profile match. I would have loved for him to win. Probably didn't make sense maybe in story, but uh, either way, yeah, just solid match. So, Last two times CM Punk won this belt, he has been out injured and has had to vacate it. There is no shot he is the real anything other than the real invalid, because if he is actually injured after the Samoa Joe match, I swear this man should never touch gold again. He should probably take his wedding band off and just have a tattoo. Because at this point, gold is allergic to him. And he just does not need to touch it. So, lots of things to think about where we go from here. Whether or not Punk is still active on the roster. After the show come this week's Dynamite, we'll beg to be seen. All right, the next matchup we're going to look at here. Six-man tag trios action where we see hangman adam page and the golden lovers kenny omega and kotobushi taking on bullet cup gold's switchblade jay white rock hard juice robinson and kanosuke takeshita 
quite the high octane match. This seemed to be a Lucha tag rules with no tags necessarily uh, available there. When a legal man goes to the outside, uh, one of their team members can go in. So that's what it seemed like at least. But yeah, we had a, of course, the Terminator dive from Kenny. Always love to see that. And the crowd got really into it with the, uh, with the, with the beating of their hands and claps. Stereo moonsaults from Kenny and Kota as well. Uh, but we see the finish sees Hangman hit Keshta with a buckshot lariat from behind. Kenny hitting some V-triggers on Jay White and Juice Robinson. But Kenosuke Takeshita gets the schoolboy roll-up on Kenny for the win. This is super good for one reason and one reason only. We get to see Takeshita versus Omega at All Out. If we don't get to see Takeshita and Omega at All Out, there's no point for this match. Um, there was a couple of little spots in there that I really enjoyed. The um, the fact that we we had the stereo moonsaults. I was pleasantly surprised to see Ibushi, you know, sort of catch himself. He slipped off the middle rope, caught himself on the bottom rope, and was able to get onto Jay White. That was perfectly fine. Um, the multiple attempts at the box shot was fantastic. I love seeing uh, Takeshita sort of being in the ring with these guys because he is the youngest person in this match in terms of being experienced. Like, I would forgive him for any wrongdoing. He is in there with Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, Jay White. Like, these guys have all been big-time champions in IW, uh, you know, in NJPW. And then you have the fact that, you know, he has the two former AEW world champions and Kenny and, and Hangman here. And Rock Hard. Like, Rock Hard doesn't need a title. Rock Hard has got his, uh, has got his nomenclature just being the, the Rock Hardness person in the entire match. Um, like, this was just a fantastic uh, sale for everybody involved. Um, and Personally, I was actually surprised to see Takesh to get the schoolboy, but happy that it happened that way because I didn't really want, you know, the Golden Elite to take over this match. And the fact that we got to see um, Juice Robinson, Rock Hard Juice Robinson, um, and Switchblade Jay White on the receiving end of a win as well, it, it made me quite happy. More information to follow up on our post all in London media scrum follow-up in regards to something that you mentioned. But yeah, that notwithstanding, <laughs> huge reaction from the crowd, high athleticism from all these guys, great showing from Kanosuke Takeshi on commentary. They were mentioning that he was sitting under the learning tree of both Kenny and Kota in his younger days in DDT. So it's great to kind of see things come full circle and Interestingly enough, after Kanosuke got that pin, the crowd was a little deflated because I think everybody wanted the Golden Elite to win. But yeah, I mean, you can't fault with having a win for Bullet Club Gold and Kanosuke to uh, to have that little bit of moment in the sun. Of course, you want to have your favorites win, but I think it was a gain for Bullet Club Gold as well as Kanosuke to have that win at a big show like that over the likes of a Kenny and a Coda and a Hangman. So may not have been what the fans wanted, 
But uh, I think it was a good booking decision to have that. I'm not going to defend anything, uh, but there seemed to be, and this kind of sort of went on throughout the night and happened during Zero War, but there were certain instances where sound from the crowd definitely seemed like they didn't exist. So this was very prevalent during Takesh's entrance and a couple of other people's entrances as well. But during this one, Takesh's entrance and the win, everything just fell silent. Like you could hear a pin drop in an arena with 81,065 people or however many it was. 35. Um, 35, there you go. It was very close, very close. Could have just given me that 30 there, PT, come on. Um, if we're doing prices right rules, you know, you were give or take under under 100, so you would have won both prizes. So, yeah. I'm doing Vince McMahon booking here, buddy, okay? You're just, just saying more than we actually had in the arena. 200,000 people in Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, for a 90,000-seater arena. That's amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, so like you know, hearing a pin drop in this, in this arena didn't really help me. Like If I had heard booze, if I had heard anything i would have been more invested um and it, it did seem like there was a lot of sound issues like it was even um comments made uh earlier on in the zero war on the youtube stream that maybe there was piped in stuff like piped in booze and stuff like wwe do um mainly because it kind of came in and then cut out and it came in and then it cut out so hopefully for next year, because we know all ends coming back to Wembley next year, they will fix sound issues. So um, that's the only thing. And I'm not defending anything. I just, you know, wanted to set the record straight at the end of this match that this was the most prevalent issue that I had. No, fair play. That's an okay observation. I know some folks have mentioned that. I chatted with some of uh, my buddies, uh, and they, they also kind of observed that. With my background in music and uh, sound and stuff like that, I can tell you for sure that uh, like basically acoustics 101 is uh, when you're talking and you're hearing sound, it needs to bounce off something for you to be able to hear it. So there's difficulties when you have an open air stadium, granted that's not completely closed or open Wembley, but a lot of sound in huge places like that kind of tends to go out and up. So, I mean, yeah, it, it wouldn't be surprised if there were some kind of sound uh, issues there in terms of being able to kind of hear things at certain times, whether that was real or not. So, but yeah, I can, I can understand when uh, and how that can happen. So, all right. The next matchup we're going to look at here, FTR, Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood taking on the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. This, of course, is yet another high-paced tag team match. A lot of tag team matches on the show, of course. Some of the highlights here, Matt Jackson hitting a Bret Hart elbow from Bret's rope and spams the taunt button, utilizing Bret's A, hey, come on, taunt. We get dual sharpshooters on the bucks. Uh, Nick is able to free himself on the apron and break up Dax's sharpshooter on Matt with a slingshot face buster. Both teams later on hitting some spiked pile drivers on each other, but both of those can't get the win for the teams. Matt ends up kicking out of a shatter machine, which shocked the crowd. 
and we see Cash getting hit with the BTE trigger, but also kicking out of that. And we see the final portions of the match. We have a Meltzer driver attempt. Wheeler throws Matt out of the way, and FTR hit the Shatter Machine on Nick to retain the AEW Tag Team Championships. This was a pretty good match. Um, tag teams, you know, we do have a fair few tag teams and trio matches on this card. Um, and the two best tag teams in the world, uh, self-proclaimed. I'm not here to say who is uh, who is the best and who is not. Um, but you have the you know the elite, the young bucks, um, and FTR, who were given their names by uh, Cody, uh, as per uh, as per the, the pre the pre match vignette. Cody does uh, no wrong, and um, we 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 seen an awful lot of stuff. We saw we seen the BTE trigger, sure, but we also saw the FTR trigger. Followed by the shutter machine, which is what was kicked out of, which was probably the most surprising thing. That yes, obviously we we hit the Miz's copy button because we all know the Miz loves to copy everything, uh, right down to the promo. But everybody likes to copy the trigger. Like we have the V trigger, uh, and we have the BTE trigger. Some of the you know, the big the biggest sort of knee moves in the game. Um and to see this move followed by the shatter machine, which is the signature move of FTR, and to have that combo kicked out of, I was kind of surprised myself. I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" Um. So yeah, it was it was a really really good match. Um, I think that uh these two guys couldn't have put on a better match personally. Um, and a highlight for me, per, uh, again, personally, was to see um, FTR come out with a couple of armbands. They had one for Terry Funk, they had one for Bray Wyatt, and they had one for Jay Briscoe. Yeah, so Brody as well, if I'm not mistaken, had uh, had an armband well. from FTR. So, yeah, I mean, this was just another incredible match. Uh, one of uh, folks that were thinking potentially of a match of the night contender. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of false finishes and things as such, which we did see in a uh, in a highly contested and rivaled matchup we saw here. And yeah, guys going for broke. You can tell the story of them having wrestled each other, knowing each other, using each other's moves and signature moves and things of such. But yeah, it was one of those that FTR did come away with the win. So yeah, it was one of those where this was another one where perhaps a lot of folks maybe wanted to see the Bucks become three-time tag team champions and be the unofficial greatest tag team, but the FTR, Dax and Cash pulled it out on this one. I mean, yeah, I think it was just one of those where, man, it was a lot to keep up with, and yeah, they ended up uh, basically putting on a tremendous show. 100%. All right. The next one we're going to look at here. Stadium Stampede, baby. Uh, best friends of Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, Tremperetta, alongside Eddie Kingston and Penta. Taking on the Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, Willie Yuta, as well as Proud and Powerful, Ortiz and Santana. So once all the men get into the arena proper, I love the fact that Eddie Kingston goes rushing down the ramp to meet Claudio to start the match off. So gotta love their long-standing rivalry. 
I love the reminders on, I believe it was Dynamite uh, beforehand, but essentially Eddie Kingston cutting the promo on the Blackpool Combat Club and folks were trying to remind, to tell Eddie that this is scripted and it's not real, but I don't care. Love me some Eddie Kingston promo. We get John Moxley at one point, of course, using a branding iron, Shades of Terry Funks, a nice little tribute there in there. Uh, Moxley also introduces wooden skewers into the match. Penta grabs those skewers and hammers them into Moxley's forehead and skull. We get a nice little piece here. He's walking around with the wooden skewers just flopping all about, stuck in his dome. Later on, Moxley procures a fork and viciously stabs Orange Cassidy with it. So another shout-outs there. It was just, that was just rough looking. Eddie and Claudio... Wind up in the Royal Luxury Boxes up in the grandstands and fighting up there. So that was like, how did they even get up there? This is crazy. It's going all over the arena. We then circle to later in the match, the combatants make their way to the entranceway. And Sue, which is Trent's mom, drives up in a van. The BCC confront her. Uh, only for the best friends to use the cookie sheets to batter their opponents. Of course, Sue making cookies for everybody in there. After being taken out... Of the match earlier, Penta returns as Penta Oscuro and then hits a sunset powerbomb off of a ladder through some tables on Santana. Of course, they had a little bit of a moment just before this spot where the ladder buckled, but glad they were able to pull that off. But back in the ring, we see Orange Cassidy load up his hands with some tape and some broken glass. Nice little ECW shout-outs there, Ian and Axel Rotten. And then eventually we see Orange hit the orange punch on Claudio with that loaded right hand to get the pin and win for his team. This was surprisingly the best stadium stampede that we had. Um, we had a few stadium stampedes that were in empty stadiums, um, but this one was particularly well done. And um, another shout out to Simon Miller because he made a cameo in this one up in the Royal Box. He was there, stood by the bar. Uh, good job, Sunshine, getting a double payday. Good job, good job. Um, I really, really enjoyed the, the sort of violence in this match because it had John Moxley. So you always pay attention whenever he's on the screen. How quickly is he going to gig and when is it going to happen? Well, of course, he was the first guy out, and I love I loved to see the fact that we had him just coming out, him and the boys just kind of coming out looking cool as cucumbers. I love to see it. And you know what? Santana is looking good after his recovery. Like He went out last, last year at some point in Blood and Guts, and he took a really bad knee injury, whatever it was. He came back looking jacked, looking huge. Um, and did uh, did some really, really good stuff in this match. Um, but definitely the one thing that sticks with me is that skewer spot, you know, pulling out those skewers, Penta just grabbing them from him and hammering them into his head and just 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 kind of staggering about, pulling the rest of the, the skewers off and just having it flop around like this is some sort of death match in Japan. Um, I uh, I definitely will not look at my kebab skewers uh, anytime soon. 
Yeah, a couple things you mentioned there. The BCC lads looking real dapper in those emblazoned pea coats with the BCC logo looking real sharp, daddy. But yeah, this was uh, quite the interesting one. It's it's tough when bigger companies on a grander stage try to do a bit more of a hardcore uh, match there. We end up seeing, obviously, some fork spots, the uh, the skewers piece. Nice little better homage for Terry Funk would probably be uh, quite proud of this match as compared to the SmackDown Street Profits Brawling Brutes one, which had almost <laughs> one no hardcore. Table. So. One table. Oh, all that hard. What was that? I was not hardcore. Yeah, but uh, a lot of interesting spots there. We tried to show some things, but also be a little bit of tame. But uh, by all accounts, a lot of the guys were not injured or anything like that uh, substantially. So everybody was able to walk away. Quite the just, you know, hard hitting affair. Uh, of course, we were going to get some juice. We we're going to get some color, brother. But yeah, all around just really crazy, chaotic match. I think at this point, uh, because there were 10 men in this one i did notice every once in a while that because there was so much action going on in different areas that we inadvertently kind of missed some spots maybe the beginning of a spot or the end of a spot and they tried to cut back and things like that so that was something i know from a production standpoint just not really too much you can uh hearken on them or kind of try to control but you know with so many things in there be that as it may you know like uh, it's just a lot of things going on a lot of intense match Hardcore and or deathmatch style matches are not everybody's cup of tea, but we got a little bit of flavor here for the folks in the UK. Yeah, the, the stadium stampedes and the uh, anarchy in the arena matches are a mixed bag of success for AEW so far. Um, there's been a lot of really, really good action in there, but because of the rapid pace and the timing um, it seems like we miss out on some action somewhere. Uh, there was also maybe some points in the game where you were like, oh, well, maybe we weren't supposed to catch that. So maybe it's just timing uh, and getting the big spots sort of fixed out between the competitors. But I, I still thought it was probably one of the best stadium stampedes short of you know, short of the, the very first one where we had Hangman riding around uh, in the end zone on a horse um, in uh, in Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium, of course. I just, I thought this was fantastic. I thought it was a lot of fun and there was plenty of violence and John Moxley took 30 seconds to gig, so it's fine. Is what it is. So, yeah, this was definitely another one that folks really enjoyed. So, yeah, I mean... For the most part, because there was so much action, a lot of things going on. Yeah, just a very well-received match, like much like you said. Next match we're going to look at here. Uh, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, versus Hikaru Shida. Soraya and Tony Storm for the AEW Women's World Championship. We had a nice touch having Soraya come out with her family and to Queen's We Will Rock You. It's a nice little uh, baby face turn in front of her home country there for the heel. We get into the action there. Tony Storm gets Britt Baker on the outside and has Soraya's mother, Soraya Knight. And while Soraya Jr. in the ring looks on. But uh, we end up getting a bit of friendly fire as Tony accidentally hits Soraya's mother with a forearm as Britt gets out of the way. And of course, uh, Ms. Soraya Jr., is quite peeved. 
We then uh, see Soraya because of that, and Tony going at it. And we have Ruby Soho trying to interject and calm things down, but she gets a forearm from Miss Tony Storm for her trouble. Uh, though finishing portions of the match, see Britt going for a lockjaw on Hikaru Shida, and Shida's fighting the hold for all she's worth. Meanwhile, Soraya sprays Tony Storm with the spray paint, hits the nightcap, and wins by pinfall to become the her first time and new AEW Women's World Champion. I have a couple of issues with this match. Um, why was Hikaru Shida given the title going into this match just to lose it? Especially if we're going down the route of Soraya now leaving the outcasts which was heavily implied during the match. It could have just been Tony Storm considering she was the one to infringe on the don't punch my mama route. And why was Britt Baker so slow on the uptake as to, you know, break up this, this pinning attempt? It seemed to me, personally, again, let's, let's, let's not take this too much to the fore, but it's a personal issue with me that Hikaru Shida should not have been given this title reign so close to All In. I am not the only person who thinks this. I have seen a lot of discourse about why did we do this just to give Soraya the title. It would have meant more if we're doing this sort of outcast split to beat Tony Storm anyway. So what the hell is the point? It just seems to an awful lot of people that we wanted to make sure that it wasn't Tony who was pinned, even though Tony was pinned to lose the title. So I don't understand what's going on here. It seemed a bit stupid. And then at three, even though we had Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker fighting for the lockjaw, fighting for the pin, um, even though we had that going on, neither of them thought to themselves, oh, hello, right beside us, not but three feet away, is a pin attempt. Um, I'm going to you know, stop trying to pin you, stop trying to lockjaw you, and just punch. Like, I don't know, throw a hand or a leg or something. It was also a sub 10 minute match. It wasn't very long. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on here that I disagree with from a storytelling point of view. I'm happy that the women got a match. Tony goes into detail as to why he didn't have more than one women's match on his card in the uh in this in the the post all in broadcast but this was for me on the main card one of the more disappointing matches and it's because of the setup to the match that this was disappointing yeah i've also heard the conjecture about uh, having tony drop the title to shida to then have Soraya win it, so I think it was one of those if if wanted to have a feel-good moment for the heel in her hometown and everything like that to have Soraya win. 
maybe the uh, the story of having it not come off of her teammate in the outcasts might have that, but we had shades of dissension in there, so maybe that was the piece. I don't know. I mean, I like me some Karoshida. I at least enjoyed that she got to have a little bit of a moment in the sun in front of the crowd with the title there. I would have liked a longer reign. I can understand TK's point of view of wanting to have, like I mentioned earlier, a feel-good moment for the hometown girl to have a win in front of her country, men and women. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those where it's it's a weird kind of thing. Like you mentioned, it didn't even go 10 minutes. It went the guts of roughly eight or so minutes with the only women's match on the card. Tony goes on to say in the post-show media scrum that uh, the flow in terms of would have been disrupted possibly with another women's match. Whether you agree or disagree with that is up for debate, but yeah, it was one of those that, I mean, I would have liked to seen a little bit more, like you said, but yeah, the story was the outcast dissension in there, and Soraya ultimately, again, and taking nothing away from Soraya, she has quite the journey, and it was a great moment for her to uh, to win the title in front of her home countrymen, in front of her family and everything, so like we've mentioned at nauseum for the women's division, we can always do better, of course, but let's not take that away from a really great moment for uh, Ms. Soraya. My final note is just going to be a case of Soraya could have beaten Tony Storm without beating Tony Storm if that was the case. They didn't want to throw in any dissension in the outcasts. The fact of the matter is, we threw in dissension in the outcasts, which would have meant an awful lot more to the story coming out of All In had she beaten Tony Storm for the title, not Hikaru Shida. You have to respect your women if you're putting them in a position of, of throwing everything out there. You cannot ask these individuals to go out there and give a really, really good show if you're not respecting them. To say that another women's match would have uh, disrupted the, the, the flow when you had a CM Punk match on the card? Like, I'm sorry, buddy. I would have rather had five women's matches than one singular CM Punk match on this card. Because, again, he has shown pre-match that he can't hold anything so please put willow nightingale on there put athena on there put anyone else on there other than cm punk i don't care but don't give the women an eight minute 55 second match whatever it was i believe that was the number and then complain that a second match would disrupt the flow especially when your storytelling of that 8 minute 55 match prior to it happening is to have the Joshi wrestler take the title only to take it away from her two weeks later. It was a disgrace, it was terrible, and you need to get better at booking big matches for the women. It's disappointing, and I did not like it. Definitely some things we can improve. Wasn't everybody's favorite booking style, but we'll look at the positive of it. A nice little moment for Soraya for sure. 
All right, next match we're going to look at here. Christian Cage and Swerve Strickland taking on father and son duo of Darby Allen and Sting in a coffin match. Nice little homage to WCW as Sting and Darby Allen come out to Metallica's Seek and Destroy Sting's entrance music from WCW. Within the match itself, Christian Cage tapes Darby's hand behind his back. The Darby, the wily man that he is, is able to even hit a, hit a tope on Swerve on the outside. So again, nice little, uh, didn't stop him now. Staying with his own nice little Terry Funk tribute with an homage with a middle-aged and crazy leaping off the apron twice onto Swerve to put him through a table at ringside. So nice little accidental homage right there. Then, of course, we see the real TNT champion, Luchasaurus, make his way to ringside as Christian was about to lose the match being put in a coffin. And he accidentally, excuse me, doesn't get accidentally, he actually gets hit by a skateboard from a, a trying to help Nick Wayne, as I'm stumbling on my words here. But for Nick's trouble, he gets chokeslammed through and onto the skateboard on the ramp that looked just so rough. I mean, that kid just took a hell of a bump. So yeah, he didn't go through it. That was the problem. He went yeah. onto it and it did not budge. Yeah. Like I felt that. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough looking bump, but he subsequently buggers off with Luchasaurus as he carries him off. And that's the payday for both of those right there. <laughs> uh, towards the end of the match, we see Darby missing a actual coffin splash, trying to get onto swerve on the coffin at ringside and that looked oh so rough that that bump right there but the finish sees sting hitting a scorpion death drop on swerve onto the coffin lid trying to stuff him in can't make it there so we see darby hitting an actual coffin drop on the coffin lid in a, a prone uh swerve who's in the midst of trying to get out and that seals the deal as sting and darby win the match Stuffing Swerve in the coffin. Bear in mind his hair was sticking out, but that doesn't count. Mm. This match was pretty brutal. I'm not a big Darby Allen fan. I'm not a big Sting fan, uh, but I really liked this match. I thought it was fun. Um, the the bumps and stuff that were taken uh, really made this match. Uh, I liked the little pre- uh, match vignette where we had them walking around the streets uh, with uh, I, I I saw I saw the top hat and I immediately went oh we're doing a Jack the Ripper sort of Sting homage here and he had the half normal Sting paint and the half Joker paint I was expecting that whenever he came out a little little bit disappointed that he had the Joker Sting um, just uh, just straight painted on his face. Uh, but really, really like that early vignette. Um, the the sort of the jackets that Darby Allen has sort of uh, come to be known for with the, the tacks and stuff. I like to see that whether we're doing the stinger splash and the, the coffin splash um, just into the corners. I really like that. I think Sting might have missed a mark on a third one, um, whereas Darby just kind of kept going and had to had to swerve to miss the stinger. Um, there was one note that I kind of made here was uh, <clears throat> Darby had to tell Sting to get up for a spear spot, uh, which I find hilarious because I was like, oh, who, wait, Darby Allen is doing his best to channel John Cena here. Um, 
it was it was it was a a small pock mark on a really good match. I thought that the the fact that the swerve threw Stinger into the coffin in the middle of the ring, threw the bat in and went to close it, and Stinger just threw the bat out. And you know, I thought I thought everything was fun. Um, you previously mentioned the the missed coffin drop onto the coffin. Ah, oh, that 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 hurt my soul. That looked really rough. As far as you know, the the whole missed spots go. That one, Darby's gonna feel that in the morning. Um, and the Nick Wayne onto the onto the uh, skateboard as well. Those two look rough as heck. Uh, but yeah, this this was a good match. I think the right team won. Um. I feel like this this sort of uh, feud has run its course. Yeah, it was one of those. I I did hear that little uh, spear spot, Christian screaming spear, and then Darby subsequently trying to help get him up. So yeah, I mean, be that as it may, hard fought matchup, another uh, rough looking one with some uh, some tough uh, landings on some things. But yeah, all in all, man, Sting just man. Upper fifties, sixty or so, just six sixty years of age. I think, yeah, you know, just like doing that. all these crazy things. Undefeated in AEW, brother. You love to see it. <laughs> so. I, I mean, he's he's undefeated, <laughs> and he's making Botchamania references. Like he is the table. You know, there, yeah. there's Excalibur just in the background, just going Sting, saying he is the table because he could had to take two shots at Kittens or three. So, like, I I I loved it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Um, and and. As far as uh, Darby Allen matches go, if you've been any sort of viewer, whenever we've mentioned Darby Allen, you'll know that I hate spot fests, um, which is funny because we're watching an all-in, you know, AEW uh, pay-per-view, and it's usually a spot fiesta. Um, it's just one of the matches that I like the least. Yeah, fair play. So. A little bit of a chaotic match, but yeah, it was kind of just a fun one all around and nice little self-contained thing. We'll see where it goes for these folks going forward. Next matchup on the card, Chris Jericho taking on the aerial assassin, Will Ospreay. Jericho, of course, getting Fozzie a payday, brother. You see him singing himself to the ring with a rendition of Judas, so didn't even play the whole song, played the... uh, Beginning intro portion, the first verse and the chorus, maybe loop the chorus twice, and uh, that's your payday, brother. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he looped that twice. I, I like the fact though that he started on top of the on top of the, the, the entrance way, and he did a Freddie Mercury live aid reference. Yeah. A lot of people, there's a few people did Freddie Mercury references, obviously being with uh, within Wembley Stadium, not the original. I'm just seeing the Freddy play that, but this one, a lot of people did a lovely reference to him, and this one I I thought personally was the best of the bunch with the Ayo kind of reference to what he did um back at Live Aid, and just playing yourself like but if you have a band and you and you know you sing your own theme song, why not? get your band the payday pt like you know if, if we had a band if you know if if i could sing and you, you could you could play the the the, the freaking instruments then we could have our own intro and it would be fantastic 
There you go. Don't so, ask me to play entrance. I suck. That's fine. So yeah, once again, of course, Jericho doing the AO, uh, Freddie Mercury tribute. There we had, of course, the earlier mentioned Queen playing Serade to the Ring with We Roll Rock You. The Young Bucks coming out with a Freddie Mercury inspired attire for their match. So nice little tributes to them. So. Hey, nothing wrong with getting your band a payday, brother. So spread the love around. Hey, get it if you can, right? Yeah. And of course, yeah. this may foreshadow, which we'll get to in just a moment, that a lot, uh, 99% of the time when you are played to the ring by a live band, 99.98% of the time you ain't winning, brother, because you got the uh, the big entrance. So more on that in just a moment. But when we get into the ring and the match proper, we see Will Ospreay, my God, hitting that uh, Sky Twister press onto Jericho on the outside, which was ridiculous. It almost looked for a moment uh, Will hit him with a knee in the head. So that was rough looking. And then we get, of course, slightly later on, Jericho hitting that nasty looking German suplex on the apron. High angled and uh, Will Osprey coming in with those cells. Giving that kid credit. That's the reason why they call him the Billy Goat. Uh, mm -hmm. Later on, we see Jericho perched on the ropes and Osprey hitting a wonderfully graceful shooting star press onto Jericho perched on those ring ropes. It was very nice to see. Osprey getting locked into the walls of Jericho. Referee Aubrey Edwards is distracted, which lends Sammy Guevara to hit Osprey with a baseball bat. Of course, that was not the finish because Will was able to once again recover and get out of that. The finish sees Jericho kick out of a Stormbreaker. Osprey goes for a hidden blade on a defiant Jericho, throwing up the double deuces into a Stormbreaker and the pinfall win for Osprey over Chris Jericho. This was a really fun match. And I think, like, I'm drawn to uh, a couple of different things. So. The, the the ring attire that Osprey wore to the ring, right? He had on one knee pad the United Empire logo, and on the other knee pad he had the three sabers that um are the sort Essex. of uh, sigil of Essex. And it's one of those things that he is such a proud man to to throw up the fact that you know he is he he is in his backyard essentially uh and he is getting to uh have this huge entrance because you've seen the fanfare and stuff uh the 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 fireworks and the things and and i i i have said earlier on in the in the, in the recording here that i love united empire and it's because of him and obviously a couple of other big boys um that i love united empire because of njpw and he is the Billy Goat for a reason. He's fantastic. I think he's great. Um, and just before we we started recording, I watched an interview he had with Jack the Jobber of of Cultaholic Wrestling, where it was after the Rev Pro uh, the Rev Pro anniversary uh, show that they had on Saturday night, after uh, Will Osprey was attacked by none other than Chris Jericho. And he referenced a phone call that Jericho had with him saying that, you know, he needs to tone things down. And he credits Jericho with his 
outward look to longevity for not only his career but his personal life as well and this match meant so much to him obviously being recorded before the match happened there was uh, references to just the fact that how much this match means to him what he's going to be able to do because of it and just how much he has enjoyed um being able to change his style up and i love the fact that we've we've also referenced it before in, in other in other videos that chris jericho gives back so much to other people and this is an individual who from aew standpoint is giving back to someone who is currently outside of aew jericho had no obligation to give uh the pin to the billy goat will osprey at an aew pay-per-view when Will Ospreay is not part of AEW. Now, at current recording, at the, at the time of recording, I believe it is at least six months before Ospreay's uh, contract runs out with NJPW, so there is the possibility next year we see him going to AEW. However, he has stated that he will be seeking all options. He will not be specifically going after AEW, but if you just put on a match with the GOAT Chris Jericho in front of 81,035 individuals in London's Wembley Arena, how can you not look at that favorably, especially when next year they're going back? So this match was fantastic. Uh, it showed a lot of the resilience of Jericho, a lot of what he is about, and a lot of what we could potentially get from Will Ospreay if he was the same with AEW. Yeah, a lot of great things you mentioned there, of course. Jericho is, like you said, not obligated to uh, put the young kid over, brother, but decided to do that. I mean, with Will Ospreay being predominantly a New Japan Pro Wrestling-based wrestler, not a ton of the huger audience would be aware of Will Ospreay's matches and styles, of course. Probably AEW may be clued into a little bit more, but for a big stage like this in his home country, to have a great showing like that, like you said, is a wonderful moment for Will. So getting the win, like I said, in his home country, and just, yeah, a lot of interesting flow to the match, high-impact moves uh, from both men, Jericho a bit more of a fighting from underneath type of thing. But yeah, we got to see just a very intriguing and engaging match. So like I said, hopefully this does uh, a great deal for Will Ospreay going forward in his future decisions and his future bookings and things of such. So yeah, I mean, just yeah, solid match to be fair. Uh, you know, maybe a hiccup or two there. But, you know, for guys that for the first time touching or for the first match, it's to be expected. But yeah. Solid and fun all around. And by all accounts, just really enjoyed by the community. Yeah, I mean, you can always tell whenever there's a little bit of miscommunication going on. Um, I don't think I can sit here and complain about that when there has been a lot of miscommunication in previous matches. Yes, I call that a little bit, but it's not something I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, this was... The worst thing ever is like it happens. Um, 
AEW in general is a high impact, high octane, fast moving promotion. Um, and um, yeah, it's not something I'm going to give them too much grief about, especially whenever uh, you're in front of 80, uh, 81,000 odd people. Uh, the nerves will get to you regardless of if you are Grado or if you're Chris Jericho. Yeah, fair play. So, yeah, the huge amount of positives outweigh the one or two negatives. So, absolutely great showing from both men. As we take a small interlude, Nigel McGuinness announces that 81,035 fans paid in attendance noting that it's a new worldwide record for paid attendance at a pro wrestling show. So once again, we sent out a tweet earlier after All in London finished and saying that, you know, paraphrasing essentially some of your favorites won, some of them lost, and some folks were even upset that this show happened. But regardless, whether you like wrestling whether you're peeved at wrestling, whether you are tribalistic to one over the other, just having 81,000 plus people pay and be at a show is great for the sport. So fantastic. Congratulations. This is just positive all around. I'm sure people are going to come for me because I just said those words out loud, but it is what it is. And like I said, hopefully we can have more highly attended shows going forward for everyone and all promotions. PT is perfectly fine. I've already called out CM Punk not once, not twice, but three times on this one show, so no one cares what you have to say. No one has listened to anything we have said. They have all just come after me for saying, oh my goodness, how can you not enjoy Chick Magnet Punk he is the best. He stands for everything that you don't. It's like, I am sorry, but I stand for everything that is good in wrestling, especially whenever you don't fight with people backstage just because you think you're the big thing. So don't worry. AEW is safe in this sphere, and it's only because of their success that we will see WWE then come to the UK in some bigger spheres. So do not think for a second that AEW's success is not going to help WWE. Unfortunately for you, they will help immensely. There you go. So nothing wrong with getting some more world-wide shows. And just like I said, great for the sport. So let's, uh, let's keep going at it. All right, switching gears. Penultimate lat. The penultimate match, excuse me, would see a badass Billy Gunn in the acclaimed. Anthony Bowens and Max Caster take on the House of Black. Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black for the AEW World Trios Championship. Of course, noted afterwards, this was a house rules match, which the acclaimed team chose as an old holds barred affair. But before we get into the match there, during the House of Black's entrance, as the lights dimmed in the stadium, we see the fans pull out their phones, turn the lights on, showing all the fireflies in the crowd. Buddy Matthews places a lantern in front of the House of Black, a nice tribute to Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt. Once into the match, you see, of course, 
Starts off hot, but we have Billy Gunn attempting a dive onto the gentleman on the outside. Gets cut off by Julia Hart, which of course Julia then slaps Billy. But she gets a scissor me timbers for her interference from Bowen. So nice little spot there. Quite intriguing. Then we have a Billy hit the one and only on Malachi, excuse me, Malachi, but gets a very, very close two count. Brody King with a chain wrapped around his hand, accidentally with some friendly fire on Malachi, who was shoved by Anthony Bowens. Towards the end, we get three fame assers on Billy, excuse me, we get three fame assers on a buddy and go for a pin, but Julia Hart pulls the ref out to break up the pin. And uh, towards the end, a black mass on Billy Gunn gets a very, very close 2.99 ad infitum from Billy. Get the, the kick out there. But the finishing sequence has a fame asser, an arrival, and a mic drop on Brody King, a second set, mind you, to finally seal the deal for the acclaimed, and they are your new AW Trios World Tag Team Champions. This was a fun match. I particularly enjoyed the entrance. Um, like you said, the, the Fireflies were out in full force. Uh, I liked this. Uh, I like to see the crowd interaction throughout the night. And um, it was lovely to see the the lantern come out and them to walk past the lantern and stuff and uh, have that. Like House of Black has, has always had this dark and spooky vibe that really reminds me personally, again, I love to use that word this evening, uh, about the the fireflies um, used by Bray Wyatt and you know the eater of worlds shtick and gimmick and and just the the Wyatt family in general, uh, it sort of has that vibe that essence to me. Um, the uh, the Julia Hart spot was 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 fun. Um, I I find myself going no they can't be do- no no. No, uh, they got the Sesame Timbers. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I love to see just strange new spots. Like this was something that you know obviously was always going to be a factor in the match. Was Julia Hart? How were they going to deal with it? Uh, badass Billy Gunn, not daddy ass. Um, you know, hitting her and, and knocking her down and, and, and them doing this spot was fantastic. Love to see it. Um one of my favorites though was uh Big Brody King uh you know barking, just going round the round the ring and the eighty thousand people barking with him was surreal. Because everybody was barking with him as he did the cannonball into the into the corner, um, I don't, I don't know. I just there's something about that spot really really enjoyed. Um, I feel like this is equal parts a good thing and a bad thing having the acclaimed win. Uh, I like the house rule spot. I like the fact that the the house of black came and had something that was interesting and have had to struggle for a long time to keep it interesting um, and have sort of almost failed the entire way because of the booking. Um, 
we eventually got them the trios titles and now we have the house rules where you get to pick a you get to pick a stipulation for the match and now that's going away uh as much as i enjoy the acclaimed and as much as i enjoy daddy ass badass billy gun this this could be a this could be potentially a bad thing for the trios titles I will hold out hope that it's a good thing. Congratulations to the acclaimed Hulubius boys. There is no doubt that the House of Black have added a little bit different flavor and something different, of course, to the trio's matches and their presentation, as well as the house rules portion and stipulation thing. So you like to see that. Post-match, we ended up seeing the House of Black present the titles to the acclaimed in a show of respect, but... Yeah, it's one of those things, and I think Tony Khan alluded to it during the media scrum after the show that this was a second chance and a second opportunity for the acclaimed to get on another hot streak. Of course, right around, I think it was double or nothing, and then ultimately Grand Slam, we got to see them win the tag team championships, and they were just at the peak of their overness, and it was ridiculous. They were riding that high. And then they eventually lost their tag team championships to the Guns, who roughly in about a month's time turned those tag team titles over to the FTR team. So it was one of those where I think folks always love the acclaim. They may not have had all the momentum sort of during the latter portions of their tag team reign and into the portions after they lost the tag team titles. That notwithstanding, it was a nice feel-good moment. I mean, who would have thought a 50-some-odd year in the year of our Lord, 2023, that a Mr. Father Butt, Daddy Ass himself, Billy Gunn, Mr. Kipsop, was over like Rover. I mean, you can't predict something like that, but notwithstanding, solid match, great reaction from the crowd when the acclaimed won. So, a lot of factors involved. I would like to see House of Black continue to be successful, as well as the acclaim. So much like yourself, I'm going to wait and see and hold my tongue to kind of see where we go with this. Yeah, that's the one thing that we're going to have to do, really, is see where we go with it. Um, Like I said, I really enjoyed that sort of aspect of the house rules being added to the title. Um, However... We have enjoyed the acclaimed before. Big proponents of uh, of the scissoring um, on this channel, and um, I'm not going to discount them from uh, from being able to make this title a big deal once again. Absolutely, you love to see an eighty thousand plus scissor party to celebrate the acclaimed's win at the end of that match. All right, and the final match, your main event of the evening, Adam Cole versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman for the AEW World Championship. Story of the match here is Adam Cole will go for almost anything on Max to win, but MJF will not cheat dastardly to win against Adam Cole. We will see cheating from both men. We see that there's a thumb to the eye from Max, even though Cole... And uh, speaking of that, and Cole pulls referee Bryce Remsburg in the way of an oncoming attack from MJF. So likewise, we see some underhanded tactics from both men. We get a dive 
to the outside from Max. Throws Cole back in the ring for a two count. Adam Cole then hits a super kick and a heat seeker on Max, but MJF gets his foot on the ropes to save himself. Outside, we get a sheer drop brain buster on the steel steps on Max. And we see Cole worried about what he's just done. MJF barely beats the 10 count at the very last moment by diving into the ring. Further down, once again at ringside, MJF can't bring himself to tombstone pile drive Adam Cole through the announce table. Cole has no qualms and hits Max with it instead. Back in the ring, both men call for a double clothesline, duck each other, land the clothesline on each other, pin one, e one another, leading to a double pin and the match ending in the draw. After the announcement by Justin Roberts, both men recover, Cole wanting five more minutes. However, MJF counters saying they'll go until they have a winner and the match is restarted. We have the referee down. We see a new take on the Eddie Guerrero spot with both men throwing a steel chair at one another, which leads to MJF collaring himself with the steel chair. As Cole is pleading with Bryce Remsburg after he's recovered, Max rolls him up for only a two count. Cole hits a Panama Sunrise on Max on the outside on the ramp, but only scores a two, two count on a pin in the, uh, in the ring. Cole goes for another Panama Sunrise in the ring, but Bryce Remsburg accidentally takes the bullet instead, and Bryce is once again down for the count. Later on, MJF thinking about using the Dynamite Diamond Ring, but shoves it back in his trunks. We then see Roderick Strong come out, hit Max with a low blow, which leads to Cole hitting a Panama Sunrise, and then the boom. Bryce slowly crawls over, trying to recover. It's a one, a very slow two, but Max miraculously kicks out. The finish sees Roddy Strong throw Cole in the title belt, telling Adam to hit MJF with it, but Adam can't bring himself to do it. MJF gets a small package on Cole, scores a pinfall win, and retains the AEW World Championship. I, I, I don't know what to say about this match because there was a lot to it. It was about 40 minutes of of fun, uh, including the restart. I was a little bit annoyed by the fact that we had that double count out after the, you know, after the double clothesline. Um, not double count out, double pin. pin. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, I was happy to see the fact that MJF was like, no, we're going, we're going until we have a winner. Uh, MJF had one of the best entrances this evening. He uh, he came out obviously on his little throne, dressed as the devil, as he is so often want to do, and had uh, some beautiful ladies all bowing down to him. Um, I uh, I, I really enjoyed the the pomp and circumstance that MJF had and Excalibur said as much you know as he has found the power of friendship it's good to know that his ego is still intact our phrasing of course um it, it's one of those things that I love MJF for being that dastardly heel um 
and uh, that's the one thing I've been really scared to lose is to lose that pure heal energy. And I think that we're we're kind of sustaining that with the introduction of Roddy into this match in particular. Um, him being held back later on by members of the kingdom and stuff, you know, fair enough. Uh, we can see what's happening with potential split. Um, but I feel that Adam Cole is actually the one to dethrone MJF eventually. I don't think that um, we're going to have this uh, budding friendship last for too much longer. Uh, we'll probably have a couple of little uh, feuds in here. We'll have a Roddy... Uh, a Roddy Strong uh, versus MJF for the friendship of Adam Cole, and Roddy will request a title match, of course. Uh, we'll have the CM Punk unification match with MJ, which MJF will probably win in a backstage brawl, possibly at the uh, media scrum afterwards, um, whenever he's eating a muffin. And you know, then eventually next year we'll have uh, we'll have Adam Cole beating MJF for the AEW title. I, I feel like that is honestly the best way to to continue this story because in the last six months, this has been the most interesting stuff that AEW has told within their men's division. Quite the intriguing match, as some folks might say. This is cinema. It was a very story-driven... Hey, I don't make the rules. That's just what the people are saying, so... Nah, man, this isn't the bloodline. Calm down. It's all about... <laughs> it's all about the story of two bros fighting it out, so I don't write this rom-com. It's just, a, you know, it's a romantic this comedy is, this movie. This is so. rom-com. Yeah, this, this is rom-coms. Yeah. But we see uh, the... No. We see the story of the match itself. Both guys are heels that are getting cheered. It is what it is. But both men trying to say that uh, is Adam Cole a heel though. Yeah, he's a heel. That. is is he actually a heel? I don't feel like he is. There is the potential for that argument in his dastardly heel type maneuvers within the match, but he is. He has been, since his return, more of a babyface-leaning character. I wouldn't exactly call him a tweener, though. He's certainly not a babyface, that's for sure. I'd, I'd lean him more babyface than Hale. There you go. So, regardless, it showed the story of both men going for broke. Uh, Adam just will... Doesn't matter. He wants that title. He saw with the Tombstone Piledriver, with all these different things, the Panama Sunrise on the floor. He's willing to go for broke. MJF with actually probably one of the few moments in his AEW career of character development from the three and a half, almost four years of literally playing, you know, just the same kind of scumbag-esque character and now just flourishing in a different avenue and a different flow. So, I mean, him not going for the Dynamite Diamond Ring, not going for chair shots, not going for the tombstone on the pile driver on the announce table and throwing a bit of reservation so good character play in there and yeah i think that that element of roddy trying to show that you know is he the voice of reason is he not is he clouding perhaps 
are they actually friends? I don't want to see this will they, won't they thing shoved in our face too much because we've we've thrown uh, every week there's there's either a small tease or a huge tease. And we even saw a post-match with Adam Cole being frustrated and then sh subsequently shoving off the Ring of Honor tag team titles. MJF throws him the world title, puts his back to him. Roddy screaming on, hit him, hit him. Adam throws it down, they hug it out, and then uh, fade to black as the show closes. So I do feel like it makes more sense for a character that Adam Cole turns on MJF, but it's one of those, like, don't... I don't want I don't want us to get tired of the will they won't they because it's be like well we've teased it the uh, the past uh, twelve to thirteen fourteen weeks every single week but it should it should be the moment where it's like ah okay it's finally here so I don't know what exactly the uh, the booking or the story should delineate but I'm gonna agree instead that Cole should be the one to turn and uh, give a little bit of extra character for MJF. The vulnerability shows nice acting on his part. But yeah, regardless, crazy good match. Story driven. Yeah, just solid match all around. You had that little Russo-esque swerve with the double pin. No, let's restart because the air was let out of the arena. And Justin Roberts is like, the match is over. It's a double pin. And then the pop of like, let's go until we have a winner. So you saved it. You know, let's, uh, you don't want to have too many Russo swerves, but yeah, so at least we ended on a uh, solid note regardless. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a little bit crap for the sake of the match officially ending because of Bryce Remsburg saying, I'm sorry, but this is the way it is. It's a double pin. And only for the champion who has no say in making matches that we go again. Like, honestly, to me, it seemed like TK wanted to give a swerve that made no effing sense yet again. Like, we have talked before where people going through tables has not drawn a DQ. And, you know, people who have been hit with chairs that have been caught have not drawn DQs. There's only so much that I personally can take from these officials. And for an official to then call the end of a match and for the champion to say, no, we continue, when the champion has no bloody say in the matter, just kind of makes me think to myself, TK, you're trying too hard with these swerves. Tone it down. Just give us an actual end to the match because you wasted five minutes on that swerve that could have been added to the women's match or that could have been added to the Samoa Joe match for him to just walk out of the way of more more moves. You know, that five minutes of, of weirdness in that match could have been added anywhere else. It doesn't need to happen. It has happened before where we've had, you know, TK come out and say, oh, we continue the match, blah, blah, blah. Like, please, bloody stop it, mate. I don't care that, you know, you've, you've booked some really cool matches, but this particular swerve of the false finish is getting tiring. 
We had a lot of fans wanting to see MJF win. We had a lot of fans wanting to see Adam Cole win. We got that little bit of in-between with the false finish, disappointment, and the restart, so got the fans back into it. We got a little bit of both, all the sides together, so ultimately MJF coming away at the win. But yeah, I mean, we can, we can rest on our laurels and use the tropes because they're tried and true, but let's not overuse them if we can. Be that as it may, regardless, spin it back a little positive that, yeah, just just fun match. These guys are just putting in work. Uh, both guys were just going for broke in it and told a very interesting story and ended on a high note. So, yeah, even that little post-match segment with them hugging it out to fade to black, at least just, hey, you know, send the fans home happy regardless of seeing one guy over the other wanting to win. So there it was. Oh, I don't, I don't deny that the end of the match was perfectly fine, but the end of the match was perfectly fine. We didn't need the false finish. Like this whole double clothesline, double pin, it's a draw. I'm sorry, boys, but, you know, that's not for me. Yeah, sure, we can have a, a typical trope that works, but this has not been received well at any point that it has been used that has been met with boos or restarts so stop bloody using it it makes no blooming sense especially in front of eighty-one thousand brits that just want to go home before the subway closes trust me that was blooming stupid anyway it was a decent it was a decent match yeah well those were the matches there let us know uh if you enjoyed the main event mjf versus adam cole what are your thoughts on the screw mid finish restart and then the finish there so either way solid solid show all around to have the first show in the UK, first show in London, be a huge stadium show. I mean, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. I mean, like you said, 81,000 plus in a stadium. Wrestling's looking good, friends. So, yeah. Let us know what oh, your yeah. favorite uh, favorite match or favorite moment from this card and this show was. All right, but that's not all because we got a little Brucey bonus. A little oh, bit of a post-show. What did CM Punk do now? Well, okay. Well, we already talked about that, so I'm going to say it positive. <laughs> but a little post-show media scrum information, just some notes from that. Coming out of the show, we had uh, Tony Khan, of course, acknowledge that there was an incident backstage, and they were investigating, so he couldn't comment on it. So, of course, we're going to be looking into that. No official news as of the time of recording, but hopefully we'll get some more insight later on down the road. Second piece to come out, we see All in London returning next year, August 25th, 2024, on the bank holiday once again. So another phenomenal show. Great to see them returning to the UK. Thirdly, we get Kenny Omega will face Kanosuke Takeshita at All Out in Chicago. So we have that match confirmed on the post-show media scrum. And finally, of note, Tony Khan has announced that AEW Wrestle Dream will take place on August 1st from the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington. The event will air on pay-per-view and is in honor of Antonio Noki, who passed away on October 1st last year. 
So we get another match announced for All Out Chicago. We're coming back to London, baby. And we're having a, another pay-per-view in August 1st. Excuse me, October 1st. In tribute to Antonio Noki. So really uh, fun things and uh, honestly, solid, uh, solid things to come out of this show. We're getting more. Great to see, once again, positives for the wrestling world coming out of this show. Yeah, I'm wondering then how this is going to affect the four shows per year per pay per pay per view, or slash five shows for pay per view for AEW going forward. This being the I want to say sixth pay per view that's going to be happening this year could possibly be the seventh. Um, I'm not to I'm not going to dispute the reasons. Obviously, in memory of Antonio Noki. Um, I just want to know how this is then going to affect the pay-per-view schedule for AEW as a whole. Um, some people enjoy the fact that they don't have a pay-per-view every single month. Um, some people wish there were more. I'm in the more camp. Um, but, you know, I feel like a lot, uh, I might be in the minority with that. So it'll be interesting to see. And, um, yeah, there was also, um, the uh the comments made uh by MJF about wanting to do a pay-per-view eventually in Aztec Arena in Mexico, uh which, you know, TK said there is the potential if the if the timing is right, if everything is right for that that they might do. So we shall see, we shall see, we shall see. But it's fantastic that um the UK is getting another Wembley uh stadium pay-per-view next year. Uh, we've had this drought in the UK, as it were, when it comes to wrestling events and to have things like Clash at the Castle in Wheels and to have this brand new show all in at Wembley um, just goes to show that there is the potential for greatness when it comes to um, these huge shows in the UK and Europe. Yeah, it's always great to see that the international crowd with both WWE and AEW, two larger wrestling promotions based out of North America, America specifically, get to have shows in Canada, the UK, Puerto Rico, Latin America, Asia, you know, uh, Australia. It's, it's great to see. doesn't happen often, so we... Yet phenomenal responses from those folks that may or may not be starved for wrestling content. But you love to see it. And it's, once again, a great, phenomenal piece moving forward for the wrestling world and the community as a whole. So you just love to see it. With that, those were our thoughts on AEW All in London. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and let us know what your thoughts were on the show itself. Maybe some of your favorite moments. What was your favorite match? And did your favorite wrestler win on this show? All right. This was a bit of a long one here. Appreciate everybody still hanging in, still watching, still listening. Joker. Quite the fun, engaging, long, but ultimately successful pay-per-view in AEW's UK 
debut. Yeah, it's a fun show, uh, long show. Um, like I said, it was just a lot of fun. Um, there was some matches there that I enjoyed a lot more than others. Um, there was some matches that surprised me that I enjoyed, and um, there was some matches that I questioned being on the card in general. But uh, yeah, there was only a few weeks ago that maybe I was complaining that there wasn't any any matches on the card anyway. So why should people listen to me, PT? Um, I really, I really did enjoy this. The fact that uh, wrestling is coming to the UK uh, means a lot. Um, yes, I didn't get to go to this show. Uh, I'm hoping in future years when things like this come to the UK that I will be able to get to go to these. Um, I have a funny feeling that I won't be able to go to next year's because of a wedding, but I will let you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I would uh, I would eventually love to be able to head to one of these huge shows because um, it's it's convenient to do so. Uh, whereas I would have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds just trying to get to America, and that's not including the tickets. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was fantastic. It was really, really good. A couple of hiccups here and there. Maybe maybe it's just a, a bit of a, a joker complaint, but um, yeah, I thought it was, it was great. And it just allows for the future of wrestling to grow. With anything, you're going to get a hiccup here or there, but the net positives extremely far outweighed anything in all of those deals there. And like you said, just big show in the UK. Hopefully more to come within that region itself, maybe for more of Europe, maybe for more of Latin America as well, and for other uh, continents and countries around the world. Hopefully this is a good showing and we can continue to grow. So like I said, just positive all around for that. Definitely a little bit of a long show. Appreciate everybody once again sticking with us. Joker, I gotta say, good to have you back, my friend. Glad you are well-rested. Love we can continue to share some wrestling bollocks with each other. But we're gonna wind down on out of here with probably one of the longest shows we've ever had. So I'll stop talking now. So, for TF Joker. See you down the road, cowboys. We love you, Terry Funk. We love you, Bray Wyatt. Thank you for everything you did and gave to us. And for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time, letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other. Next time, just tell somebody that you love them, give them a hug. And for those, we will catch you next time. Peace.